Don't tempt me. All right, Baruch Hashem, Yahweh. We are in our study of Sukkot during the Feast of Sukkot, I should say. And we were looking again in the, the distinction between the tripartite man, body, spirit. One of my favorite scriptures we all know. Turn there if you will. Techelim, Psalm 23, verse 1. <clears throat> Yahuwah is my shepherd. So a shepherd, as we know, has a staff. And a shepherd, as we saw back in the Torah, the shepherd strikes to allow the sheep to go out into the pasture. Because traditionally what would happen, sheep would be kept in an enclosure and it would be the shepherd that would strike the rock, allowing a hole to appear in the wall and then the sheep would go out to pasture. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me besides the still maim water. He restores my nefesh, my being. He leads me in the paths or the cycles of Zadachah. So our shepherd is going to lead us in cycles of righteousness. That's what the feasts are. We are aligning ourselves with the shepherd's staff in his cycles of Zedekah. Why? For his great name's sake. Yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We all know this passage. This is a passage that we are so familiar with. But you prepare me a shalchan, a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint Remember we saw that word yesterday, shemen, something which is crushed and then it produces a flowing of the ruach. You anoint my head with oil and then my cup of blessing, it will run over. So Yahweh's rod and staff is there to do what? It's there to comfort us. And what is his rod and staff? It's Yahweh's word. And his word is truly a comfort to us, isn't it? That's the place I go to comfort because I know that the Ruach Kakodesh, once I start reading the word, that's where I'll meet the Holy Spirit and begin to get ministered to. But the problem is, is many of us have to overcome what we have been brought up in or what has come down through the generations. But we know that Yahweh's attributes are that judgment goes to the third and fourth generation, those iniquities. So even when we come into faith, there are consequences that linger. And you see generational blessings, and then you see generational curses. Some people have to overcome than others, and oftentimes connected to their generations. Correct? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's just the shadow of death. So really, I look at this and I go, there's a shadow of death before me that walked before me, that now I'm walking in that shadow. 
my earthly father is an adulterer. My earthly valley of shadow death that walked before me, that now for me to overcome that, how am I going to overcome that? By taking hold of his rod and his staff, the word, and allowing the ruach to work in my life. Because there is something that does overshadow me. If I neglect to address what does overshadow me, then it will always be there. But when you call it out, identify it, renounce it, and then walk with his rod and his staff, you can then make distance, be set free from that which would try and keep you captive. I'm in its shadow, I'm in the valley, but it's actually not unto death. If we address it, it's not unto death. It's only unto death if I start to manifest it, right? Because sin leads unto death. It's not unto death until I start to manifest the generational iniquity that overshadows me. And eventually, if it goes undealt with, at some point in your life, it will start to manifest and lead to a death in your relationship with the Father. I may have to walk in what my forefathers walked in for a while until I address it, and then when I address it, I can overcome it and fear not death because His Word actually comforts me. It comforts me. Remember, in the Torah, as we've read through it many, many times, in the Torah section where um, the children of Israel are led. What do we see? They come out of Egypt, they're in the wilderness, and they're led into the section of Scripture where the fiery serpents appear. And what does Moshe Rabbeinu allow the fiery serpents to do? They were sent to bite the older generation, were they not? Exactly. The fiery serpents are sent to bite the older generation. Let them bite the older generation. Because that is part of us acknowledging the spiritual roots to sin manifesting in our lives. We have to allow the fiery serpents to bite the older generation so that you and I can be ready and prepared for the anointing. So... I want to turn to a section of scripture, you can choose, Genesis, Bereshit, chapter 21, or you could go to the corresponding text in Galatians chapter 4, it's the same text. It depends which way you want to work it, from the front forward or from the back, you know, but it's the same, okay? What we're dealing with is Passover. When did our redemption bring, begin? Of course, at the Passover, when Yahushua set us free from bondage and captivity, which also means generational iniquity. So the setting of the stage of Bereshit, Genesis chapter 1, um, excuse me, Genesis chapter 21, Bereshit 21, this happened at Passover. This is, of course, a very familiar passage. We are going to look at the life of Abraham, we're going to look at Isaacs, and we're going to look at some Ishmaels. So, Bereshit chapter 21, it is written, Genesis chapter 21.
course, we're dealing right now with this passage. And Yahweh visited Sarah as he had said. And Yahweh did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Avraham a son in his old age at the set time which Yahweh had spoken to him. Of course, you can cross-reference what is this set time. It was, in fact, Passover. If you look at the corresponding text in Bereshit, Genesis 17.21, Genesis 18.6, and Genesis 19, verse 3, you're going to see that this actually ties in with matzah bread, unleavened bread, and the feast of Passover, which begins our redemption from that which binds us. The first thing we have to deal with is that sin goes down to the third and fourth generation. There's consequences. We've got to address those before we can get on to the deeper things. So sometimes people wonder why they are constantly struggling is because they're just dealing with the here and now and reacting to things in their life, but maybe not addressing a deeper root that goes back. So this is something I think is very important for us to see. Now remember, this is Sarah. And um, Sarah, if you you look at the text of Genesis chapter 11, verse 28, and Genesis chapter 11, verse 29, Sarah is in fact the one and the same as Ischah in the 29th verse. Sarah was a literal niece of Avraham. She was a metaphorical daughter of the father. And who was the father? Shem. So she was a metaphorical daughter of the father Shem or the Malkit Zedek. She was the daughter of the oldest brother Haran who died. And if you look at this, you can see Abraham was the ninth in the generations from the Malkizedic, Shem. And of course, Shem is my father, Shem is your father. When we walk in the priesthood, we get that connection to the father through the son. It's a descendant thing, but we can't miss the generations of iniquity that try to stalk us. Does that make sense so far? Back to the text, Genesis 21, verse 3. And Avraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, or Yitzhak. Then Avraham, I know that Danan's translation says castrated, but most people's um, translation says Brit Milah circumcised his son Isaac when he, as a personal joke for those that are watching online, right? was eight days old, and yours says 18 years old, does it? That is, he's got the Seventh-day Adventist translation, where they castrate you at 18 years old. Because <laughs> they're, they're trying to deal with the previous generational iniquity, and they say, well, the best thing to do in the Seventh-day Adventist church is once the male turns 18, we just castrate them, and we have no problems from that time on. <laughs> You know it's true. You know it's true. <laughs> That's why I don't belong to the Seventh-day Adventists, even though I love Shabbat. <laughs> hmm. 
I mean, there's one thing about being circumcised to partake of the Passover, but, you know, that's a whole other thing. I just want to keep Shabbat, really? Come on. <laughs> Those are some strict guidelines you've got for entrance into the cult there. <laughs> I mean, we want some commitment if you're going to be a Seventh-day Adventist. <laughs> I'm serious commitment. <coughs> and once you're in, you're never coming out. <laughs> Whoa, what the heck am I talking about up here? Sorry, let's get back to the Bible text. All right, we were talking about Danan being castrated. I mean, <laughs> sorry, Dane, brother. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh, good night. I'm glad I've got a sense of humor. Now, Abraham was 100 years old. Where's my tea? I was relying on you, ladies. Later, I'll get through. Who's got a throat drop? Anyone? Oh, the missus does. Love it. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, Yahweh has made me laugh, and all who hear me will laugh with me. She also said, who would have said to Avraham that Sarai would nurse children, for I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Avraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Avraham, scoffing, Therefore, she said to Avraham, cast out this bondwoman of her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Yitzhak. And the matter was very displeasing in Avraham's sight because of his son. The revelation that this text is really revealing to us is found a lot later in history in Galatians chapter 4. Because Rav Shaliak Shaul, Rabbi Apostle Paul, uses this text to give you the understanding that that which was birthed at Mount Sinai, when Moshe Rabbeinu came down and they, he saw the golden calf and there was the breach there, what was birthed there was a work of the flesh. Because the children of Israel broke the covenant, the imposed book of the law was ratified, not ratified, excuse me, it was imposed upon them because they broke the book of the covenant. So in Galatians chapter 4, Rav Shaliak Shaul says that there's two covenants. One is born of faith, which is the book of the covenant, which actually was from the Jerusalem above, remember? That's where the whole covenant, the book of the covenant, Genesis, um, Exodus 19 came from. But another was a work of the flesh because it was imposed upon them because they did the golden calf. That was the book of the law. So Paul is juxtaposing the distinction here between the book of the law and the book of the covenant in Galatians chapter 4. And he's telling you that the book of the law is not of faith, it's presently what the rabbis in Jerusalem were doing, and it gives birth to Ishmael's. 
It gives birth to bondage. But the book of the covenant is free because it was from the Jerusalem above and it is a covenant, therefore it is of pistis, it is faith. That's what that whole allegory is about, but we won't find that until a lot later. But that's what Paul's drawing on. What I want to talk about today is the difference between the Isaacs and the Ishmaels in our life. And connect that all to what we're on topic about, which is what? Getting the healing, sometimes through brokenness, but we've got to get rid of the Ishmaels in our life. We need to move into the extreme. Abraham, but there's two sons. One gives birth to bondage, and many of you have come out of the Messianic or Hebrew Roots movement, and you've gone, man, yes, I love keeping the Shabbat. Yes, I understand the feast and the Moedim, all this good stuff, and it's good. But, man, I've just been missing the faith. I've been missing the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you birthed an Ishmael. Because the book of the law, the law, Romans says, is not of faith. It's not of faith. It doesn't take faith to keep the commands in the Torah. But it is the Ruach which is given through covenant fidelity, the royal Torah, which is where we get the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Ghost, within the framework of the Shabbat and all of the good things in the Torah. But now we're going back, not as Ishmael's, we're coming back to the Father as Yitzhak's, Isaac's. That's the book of the covenant realm. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the truth. So we continue on in the 14th verse. So Avraham now rose early. Hagar has been cast out, the bondwoman, with Ishmael. He's given a skin of water. But there's a problem, right? He's given some bread. Bread is the word of Yahuwah. And represents what? The Ruach. What happens? What happens when you're not in covenant with Yahuwah? You could be keeping the book of the law, which is an Ishmael in your life, and you can be reading the word, have bread on your journey, right? But the problem is, you are going to run out of water. You're going to end up in a dry, barren place. I spent almost 10 years in the Messianic movement. I had a lot of bread with me, and I started out with the Spirit. But after a while, I ran out of water because you cannot produce it in a book of the law environment because the law contains no faith. The law is not a faith. It's only when I returned to my father, Shem, Malkitzedek, Yahusha, right, who connects me with the father. Nobody gets to the father without coming through the Malkitzedek, the son, that then the wellsprings of the Ruach came up again. And you'll notice Ishmael and Hagar, they had bread, they were in the word, but they ran out of water. But actually water was later restored to them. How was it restored to them? They had to come into the presence of Yahuwah through the Malak, the angel, and have a divine connection for the water to reflow back into their vessels. And this is what the Father's teaching us This is why we're seeing the difference now 
as we are taking the Torah and elevating it to its proper status, which is the Jerusalem above. It's the spirit and the Torah, not just the letter of the law. That's the juxtaposition between the book of the law and the book of the covenant. And we find that later really explained to us by Paul in Galatians chapter 4. All that to say this, it is only by an Ishmael rising up and being touched by the Ruach that there will be a status change. And a lot of us have birthed Ishmaels. And we have to have a status change back to a Isaac, a Yitzhak, a Yitzhak. Avraham, he vacillated between the spirit where the promises of Yahuwah reside and the soul where the promises of the world reside. Right? Our soul is where the promises of the world reside. And then our flesh starts to walk it out. But it's the Ruach where the promises of Yahuwah reside. So we have to get out of the soul, the worldly realm, and get into the Ruach where the promises of Yahuwah reside. Abraham dropped out of the Ruach, out of the spirit, into the soul. Why? To try and claim the promise. Didn't he? He dropped out of the spirit realm where Yahuwah gave him the promise and he went into the soul and in the soul, that's where he tried to claim the promise and it birthed an Ishmael. That's the problem with our wrong approach to Torah. The Torah has been from the manifest in the spiritual realm. It's from the heavenlies above that Moshe was told to make a shadow picture of. It was birthed in the Ruach. But when you try to take the promises of Torah, all the good stuff, and you try to approach it through the soul realm, You've birthed an Ishmael in your walk. Welcome to the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement. And that's not a criticism of a particular person. It's just that it's misguided and misshaped. Yes, we're tired of the paganism. Yes, we know Shabbat isn't on Sunday. Yes, we know that we should be eating what is fit and proper. Yes, we know that we should be keeping the feasts. But don't try and approach the promises of Yahuwah through the soulish realm because you will never obtain it. It will end up birthing an Ishmael in your life. You've got to birth an Isaac. Is this making sense? Because it's making sense to me. Paul said in Galatians 4.24 that an Ishmael, I love this in the King Jimmy, Ishmael gendereth to bondage. Isn't that a great word? Ishmael gendereth to bondage. What did he mean? It means you conceive the idea, you're going to pay for it. You conceive the idea, you conceive the idea, You're going to pay for it. 
Because you didn't let Yahweh conceive the idea and approach it in the Ruach, in the Spirit. It's a work of the flesh. It's a work of the flesh. Ishmael's, they are costly. Ishmael's are costly. They can bring financial and emotional bondage. And we've all birthed an Ishmael. I had a 1993 W250 Ishmael in my driveway for three years. <laughs> it was extremely costly. <laughs> it was an Ishmael. It was not an Isaac. Many of you have bought houses that were Ishmael's. You have bought Harley Davison's that were Ishmael's. You have gone and decided to get in debt and get some credit cards. These are Ishmael's that are all birthed out of breaking the commandment, which is covetousness, right? Trying to get something that you can't afford and then paying for it in installment programs. Isaiah 31 verse 1, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. We don't go to the world to try and get the Father's stuff. It ain't going to work that way. You don't go to the world, Egypt, to try and get the Father's stuff. Because the people that have obtained the Father's stuff, it's because it's been entrusted to them for a short period of time because they have shown responsibility in stewardship because they are birthing Isaacs. Right? But you want what they've got and you approach it through the soul realm, you're going down to Egypt to try and get it. Right? That's an Ishmael. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. And we've all done it. Okay? We've all done it. I just admitted what mine was. My wife loves to tease me about that. Just in love. Yes, in love, yes. I actually tease myself too. My son teases me too. Anytime that you and I go the way of the spot, the soul, it's going to despise our spirit every time. If you choose to go the way of the soul, it's actually going to despise your spirit. We don't want that. Don't try and make your own way without the promises of Yahuwah. You cut yourself off from all that was good. Sarah was despised in Hagar's eyes. Because Avraham went the way of the soul. You go the way of the soul and the spirit is despised in the soul's eyes. And this is the conflict that you and I have, right? Hagar means to take flight or to flee. And when the going gets tough, of which we've all experienced then the soul flees and leaves you exposed to your own mistakes. When the going gets tough, you won't get comfort from your soul. The soul will leave you and you're left exposed. You get comfort in the Ruach. It's the Ruach, the Spirit. When the Malak, when the angel of Yahuwah met Hagar after she fled, the Malak, the angel, told Hagar to return 
and do what? Huh? There's the word right there. You go return and you submit to the Spirit. That's the only way. Is if you do make a mistake, you do do an Ishmael, which is a soul, the only way of obtaining the promises of Yahuwah is not by continuing to gender into bondage with that mistake, is that you must return and submit to Yahuwah through the Spirit. That's the only way for restoration. Is you've got to change your ways. I've got to change my ways. We just Otherwise we will gender it to bondage if we continue the way of the soul. At some point we've got to go, you know, this isn't working. This is the way of the soul. I'm going to Egypt to try and get the things of Yahuwah and it's not working. So we go back and we submit to the Spirit and there we'll get the conviction and we'll get a status change and become an Isaac and actually obtain those promises. Do you think Yahuwah wants to give you the promises? Of course He does. But He's not going to give the promises to Ishmael because Ishmael's trying to get them by going down to Egypt. Taking flight without submitting to the mistress or the Ruach, the Spirit. Repent. Submit to the Ruach is the only way to get back to obtaining the promises of Yahuwah in my life. The promises of Yahuwah in your life. Because that, that's where the multiplicity happens, isn't it? So, well, how did, and, and then start, things start to come quick. Like, okay, you can take all these steps in the soul down to Egypt. But the moment you teshuvah, turn and make repentance, and you step one step back, all of a sudden, the blessings start to come because you've changed direction and you've submitted to your mistress or the ruach that is within you. Bereshit, Genesis 16. Return to thy mistress and submit thyself unto her hands and I will multiply thy seed exceedingly. There's going to be a multiplication of blessings when we return to Yahuwah through the proper order of the Torah and the Ruach. Ishmael. It means to be a wild man. It means to be a carnal man. The soul and the spirit, yes, exist within the wild man, but the wild man is really an unconverted man. Right? An unconverted man. Yahweh wants to transform you and I into a Yitzhak, into an Isaac, because that's where the Ruach rules, the spirit rules in the Isaac realm. I hope this is making sense to you, because it's a simple passage, but, but you've got the bookends. You've got Galatians 4, and then you've got Bereshit chapter 21, and then you've got Mount Sinai and the book of the covenant and the book of the law sandwiched in the middle. And this is what Paul's tying all together and we can simply bring it down and boilerplate it with the distinction between an Ishmael, the book of the law, and an Isaac, the book of the covenant. This is very simple when we break it down this way. Because our soul and our spirit dwell together in the same house. And what is that? Sometimes that's warfare, right? 
the moment that I became born again, I became, in fact, what? I became a house divided against itself. Huh? Yeah, that's not right. Yeah. The moment I became born again, I became a house divided against itself. And the reason, the reason that people continue to fall into sin is because the soul has yet to be put under the control of the Ruach. And the house is divided against itself. And a divided house will always fall into sin. How come? You're like, well, brother's born again, but brother is a just still sinning. Well, it's called, a, we say, you know, it's a carnal Christian. We've heard that term thrown around. And I don't mean to be derogatory to Christians, but I'm just saying that's a term we've all heard. Well, that's because the person is newly born again, and maybe they stay in that spot which means their house is divided because there's a war between the soul and the spirit. And who wins? The soul. Therefore, they may be converted, but they're constantly falling into sin. But once the Ruach rules the soul, then the words of Scripture really come apparent to us. Because is there a contradiction in the Bible? Because look, once the spirit reigns, we come to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. That ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Yahusha Hamashiach the Zadik, the righteous. But then in Yochanan Aleph, 1 John 3, 9, it says this. Whosoever is born of Elohim, he doesn't commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he what? He cannot sin anymore. Because he is born of Elohim. So, how do you reconcile 1 John 2.1 that says, if any man sin, meaning Man has the tendency to sin. Converted man. But then, in the next chapter, 1 John 3, 9, you cannot sin anymore. You have the possibility of actually not sinning. Do we have a scriptural contradiction here? What's going on? Yahweh's trying to teach us something right through the text. Once the tripartite man has been divided down to the marrow then the spirit, the Ruach, rules supreme. And once the spirit rules supreme, man won't sin anymore. Won't sin anymore. Once the tripartite man has to be divided down to the very marrow, and then the spirit rules supreme, that man then that man or woman will not sin anymore. Yes, you'll still have an advocate because you're still a sinner for all that past sinning, but you'll actually not sin anymore. And I know what the Bible says, we all know, but the righteous man, 
the Zadik, he sins how many times? Seven times daily. Yes. That was a book of the law precept. It says the Zadik man sins seven times daily. It doesn't say that the Malkitzedic sins seven times daily because only as an Isaac through the relationship with the Malkitzedic do you have the opportunity for the Ruach to rule supreme and the Malkitzedic has the opportunity not to sin anymore. Does that make sense? Perfect in Mashiach. Exactly. What Yahweh has promised, you and I don't have to perform. He will perform it. He will perform it. It's true. Romans, Romeo, Romans 4.20. He staggereth not at the promise of Elohim through unbelief, but was strong in Emunah, faith, giving glory to Elohim, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Our struggle ends where his Ruach, his spirit begins. Then, when? Then, we cease from our own labors. And that's what we want. Cease from my own labors. How many of you, when you were doing all the Torah, 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 terrorism, yeah, it's quite laborious, isn't it? Right? I mean, it's some serious laborious stuff, right? It does. Exactly. If you're ever, ever, ever given a prophecy, I've seen this before so many times. You know, I always go to the Word. And I, I've been around so many prayer circles over the years and people laying hands and prophesying over. I'm, I've, I mean, just recently, you know, somebody laying hands on somebody and they're, they're prophesying and everybody's getting emotional about it. And I'm like, and they say something, but I know that it's actually in contradiction to the word of Yahweh. But people are getting all, you know, crying and it's great and all that. But I'm like, well, that's not true. So what happens there? Is that person like a devil or a witch? No. They're prophesying out of the soul. Okay? That's all it is. They're prophesying out of the soul and it addresses the flesh and we all weep and cry and we're emotional. I've seen it so many times. And it actually is used to take advantage of people. And it really actually bothers me because I see that these people that do this, they are actually capitalizing on broken people's emotions. It's not right. Because they're prophesying out of the soulish realm. We've seen it so many times. Right? Can we all say that? I think most of us have seen it. But it's not that they're a demon or a warlock or a witch. It's that they are capitalizing on people's emotional fragile state and it gives them a sense of what? Elevated title. They feel good about themselves because of their low self-esteem problem. I see this stuff because I don't stand back and look. I just do. It's just the way I am. And I always go to the Word and I listen. I listen a lot. So if you're ever given a prophecy that was not of Yahuwah, 
It was, because you prophesied out of your soul. Somebody prophesied out of their soul. The only way you can be sure you're going to inherit it is to get rid of the other guy in your life, the Ishmael. That's the only way we're going to inherit the promises, is get rid of the Ishmael, the soulish realm of our life. If you want to be heir to it all, right? You can't just pluck the fruit. You've got to sever the root. You can't just pluck the fruit. You've got to sever the root. And again, I know, I mean, some of you might have married Ishmael's. Right? Some of you are driving Ishmael's. Some of you are living in Ishmael's. These are problems that we've all had and made these mistakes. But these are things that you're not going to get the blessings through because Yahweh has promised us Isaacs, not Ishmael's. And he ultimately, going back to how we started, he will comfort us through his rod and his staff. He wants to bring that healing and it starts by us dividing the tripartite being and looking back and getting healing on generational iniquity. Remember the daughters of Zelophehad in Bamidbar in Numbers? How did they inherit the promises? How did they inherit all the good stuff? They petitioned through their generations. Sometimes you've got to petition through your generations to inherit the good stuff. But that means you've got to do the deep work, right? Some self-examination and study your generations. Because ultimately, we're all striving to be written in the book of life, but the generational iniquity in our DNA and our blood can be a problem. Look what it says in Exodus, Shemot 34, verse 7. I will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children unto the third and the fourth generation. And we, we see that with even, you know, the story of Abraham. For she is my sister. What happened there? Isaac just manifests the same generational curse from Abraham. Oh, my wife is my sister. Where did he learn that from? Generational iniquity, right? Noah. Noah was a man who was perfect in his generations. Noah was complete. He was in the Ruach. He was in the Spirit. He was complete. He was free of the curses in his genes. He was free from generational iniquity. Look at Bereshit, Genesis 6, verse 8. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a Zadik, a righteous man, and perfect in his generations. And Noah had his halakha, his walk with Elohim. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and the earth was corrupted and before Elohim, and the earth was filled with violence. And Elohim looked upon the earth and see it was corrupt, and all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And Elohim said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. But Noah, he stood separated because he was connected to the divine presence through the Ruach. And this is now going forward into Hebrews. Hebrews 7, of course, speaks about the Malchizedek without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made unto the son of Elohim, abideth a priest continually. We know from the Torah that Shem was the Malchizedek, the son of Noah, 
So what does it mean when it says, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the son of Elohim? He was delivered from his generations. He was delivered from his genealogy. Contrast that. The whole Levitical priesthood was connected to all of the generations. But not the Zedek. It is free from the generational curses. If you can tap in to all that Yahushua is offering us. This is an amazing opportunity for us to finally be set free from that which would try to gendereth unto bondage. Ishmael's, the soul ties. First John 5.16 If any man sees his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall make prayer for it. So Yahweh is telling you, as Kohanim, as priests under the order of Zedek, you have the opportunity to go and forgive people their sins that are not unto death. That's amazing. This is something that Yahushua taught us to do. Now, of course, if somebody's kidnapping or murdering or striking or cursing their parents and committing adultery, you can't forgive them those sins. But what this is talking about is encouraging the brother and sister that's fallen in iniquity. Sometimes they need to hear it from another priest, another brother and sister. Your sins are forgiven. Because you have the power under the resurrected Mashiach to forgive those sins not unto death. Somebody nicks something, right? They're a little thieving git. You can, you can forgive them, all right? Somebody, you know, gets into a bar fight, right? You can forgive them for nutting somebody or doing some violence, right? And, you know, maybe there's an arsonist amongst you, right? You can, you can you forgive that person for committing a bit of arson, right? Everyone feels like a bit of arson once in a while, I'm sure. You know, but you know, you can forgive them for doing these types of things. Premarital sex with a virgin, you can forgive that kind of sin, right? That's not adultery, but it's a sin. But these are the things where you are actually walking in your authority. Do you know what a comfort it would be? Some people are, are, are so down and maybe even suicidal because they're weighted down with sins and they need to have somebody walk in authority to intercede on their behalf and say not all hope is lost. You have an advocate, right? And you're to manifest that advocacy. We have a mediator. It's amazing stuff. Deuteronomy 23 verse 7. You shall not abhor the Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor the Mitzri, because you were a stranger in the land. I'm going to tell you a terrible story right now, because it just came to my memory. I remember I was like, because I had this, didn't you get done for arson once? Didn't you do some arson when you were a kid? Oh, okay. You just don't want to admit it right now, do you? I remember being a kid in England, right? 
I was with a bunch of friends, and there was like the, the work. We had, we had, in England, we had the working men's pub, where all the old, the old retired working men would spend the day down the pub. Right? Sounds good, right? You're retired, you just spend the day down the pub throwing darts at one another. And anyway, we're outside in this field. I used to smoke cigarettes back then. I'm thinking about like 10 or 11 or something. It's the middle of summer, and we, I don't know what we were thinking, being stupid, lighting clumps of grass. All of a sudden, the whole blooming thing comes up and fire. And, you know, all these men are coming out of the pub with the buckets and the fire brigade. And we're like, yeah, I saw some kids running that way, you know. I mean, terrible, terrible stuff. I, when I was a kid, I loved to play with matches. I remember being a little boy and, like, striking matches and just, like, sticking them in the couch. And then another thing I did when I was like, people would go for nice, nice walks in the countryside in England. You go for a nice Sunday walk after church. Me and my friends, we'd go down, you know, and we'd dig like these little pits on the walking trails and we'd put twigs in them, you know, and then we'd, we'd pour gasoline in it and pour like a, this little trail and go hide. And then people, yeah, it was you as well. Yeah, terrible stuff. But I could have been forgiven of that stuff. And maybe that would have really interceded for me a lot earlier in my life if there was a Malkit Zedek walking in their authority in Great Britain. But nobody taught that stuff, right? What? Yeah. Yeah, I thought you were an arsonist. Just, he's got that look about him, doesn't he? He does. You just like, it's like when I first met you, I'm like, there's a fellow arsonist. <laughs> Takes one to no one. <laughs> all right, back on topic. All right, I've divulged enough of my sinful youth. Do not give me matches. My children aren't in the room, so. Yeah, so Tamara's getting nervous. You shall not abhor the arsonist or the Edomite, for he is your brother. (laughs) You shall not abhor the Egyptian, because you were a stranger in the land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of Yahweh in the third generation. In their third generation. So after three generations of marrying back into Israelite stock, the offspring had enough Ruach spirit-bearing capacity to finally be acceptable to Yahuwah. But it took them three generations to have enough spirit-bearing capacity. And that's what some people need to overcome. The sons of the third generation who were born to them finally could enter into the assembly. Genesis chapter 15, verse 13, it says, And he said to Abraham, Know of a certainty that your Zerah seed shall be Gerim, strangers in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. But in the fourth generation, they shall come here again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is yet not full. That's some serious heavy stuff Yahweh was laying on him. Forty times ten times ten 
tested for a time to establish truth. Whatever amount of breath of life they had inherited through their generations from Noah, it was actually insufficient to bring about a national reprieve until the Exodus. That's a long time. That's a long time. They were unable to produce enough offspring with enough breath of life to make a difference. And we're living in the days of Noah. We are living in the days of Noah and generation again are either dying off or there's a multiplicity blessing. But it's disparate, isn't it? Generations are just dying off or we're connecting to the Father in the Malkitetic Covenant and then there's a multiplicity of blessing. And that's what the Father is trying to get us to understand. It's, it's, there's a separation time right now. The wheat and the chaff. It's a time of divide. Think about it. The word of Yahweh. Everything that we're learning. This is not a religion. This is kingdom stuff. This is a change of status. That's all a king is. It's a normal person who has a change of status. And that's what the Father is trying to do in our lives. Give us a change of status. And the Word, as beautiful as the Word is, the Word cannot change your life until you change your genealogy. You've got to step out of it and step away from it. And go, no, I'm not going to look back. I'm going forward with the sword in my hand. And the only way for us to get victory over generational principalities is with the principles. And those principles, of course, we know are found in His Word. But we've got to apply them. can't just be here. We've got to apply them. And there are such things as influencing spirits. We know that. It's a true thing. And influencing spirits, they study your generations. I've said this many times. They, op- they operate generationally and geographically. Many of you have been on vacation somewhere and you've gone like, whoa, you can just feel geographically there's some bad stuff that happens here because spirits operate generationally and geographically. I remember we took a jeep through Mexico one time and we ended up in some, where, where did we end up? Chitsanita, man. We, we were going to spend five days there. We literally, we didn't want to go to bed. We got up in the morning and we were like, let's get the hell out of here. It was awful. It was awful. Because they'd been doing all those Mayan sacrifices for generations. They had all kinds of voodoo stuff hanging from, you know, little trinket shops. Buy a Coca-Cola with a voodoo doll. I mean, it was just a cult. We could feel it. Geographically. And then generationally too. So we have to think about how to step out of this, step away from it. And the difference between the rich and the poor is what? The difference between the rich and the poor is the rich think generationally and the poor are actually captured by their generations. It's a difference. The rich think generationally, but the poor actually become entangled by their generation. They can't get out from amongst it. They can't get out from amongst it. 
You've got to step out from it. And you've got to start thinking generationally. And that is a status train, a change, okay? So there's some tools that the Father gives us because a principle ignored in the Word will create a generational loss. If Yahweh through His Spirit shows you a principle in the Word and you don't apply it, you'll get a generational loss. You don't want that. And we need to take a legal position, like you were saying yesterday, we need to take a legal position to an illegal presence. Right? We take a stand. You walk in that authority. I'm taking a legal kingdom position to this illegal presence. Right? And all disease starts in the generations, in your spirit which sways your soul and then finally corrupts your flesh. Disease. Disease, right? Leviticus, Vaikra 16.1 And Yahweh spoke to Moshe after the death of the two sons of Achron. And when they drew near before Yahweh and died. And then in the 18th chapter, in the 6th verse, it is written... None of you shall approach anyone that is close in Mishpochah family to uncover their nakedness. I am Yahweh after the death. Akaremo in the Hebrew, after the death. Well, it's time to be after the death for us too. After the death of our generations. After the death of your forefathers. Don't sleep with your forefathers, right? Don't sleep with your forefathers. Take on your father's word, not your forefathers' words. It's a big difference. It's actually immoral. It's actually immoral for you not to take on his word. Think about that. It's actually immoral for you and I not to take on our father's word. And if we don't teach our kids, our father's word, it's akin to offering them to Molech. Right? Think about it. It's akin to offering them to Molech. We have to raise our kids up in a Bible-believing culture. We cannot entrust our children to the government. We just cannot do that. It's not right. After the death, Don't use their blood, their generations, an excuse for you and I not to attain the priesthood and the kingdom. If we walk contrary to Yahuwah, we'll eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters shall you eat. Leviticus, Vaikra 26, verse 29. Devouring the flesh through passing down our generational sin onto the lives of our sons and daughters. We violate Vaikra 26, verse 29. We don't want to do that. Generational sin. Finishing up here. Psalm 23 again. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow. It's just a shadow. It's a shadow of death. I shall not fear. Because your rod and your staff, they actually do comfort me. Finally, Vaikra Leviticus 26, verse 40. If they shall confess their iniquity. And listen. I had to confess that my father was an adulterer, that my father was a high-ranking mason, that my father was into this and into that. I had to confess that. 
and they confess the iniquity of their fathers with their guilt, which they trespassed against me. Then, when? Once you've done that, that's where you start, because that's where the deep root is. We're all trying to do the superficial stuff, right? But sometimes, if we don't connect and pull that deep root, we are literally going to go from place to place to place and blow up and blow up and blow up because we haven't addressed the root of our problem. All of us, right? Which is the generational iniquity. If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their guilt which they trespassed against me, then will I remember my writ, my covenant with Yaakov, Jacob, and also my covenant with Isaac. Tying this all back in with how we started. Birthing an Isaac, not an Ishmael. It relates to covenant, looking back, setting ourselves aside and apart from the generational iniquity. Yes, my father did this. I repent for that. I don't want that to come onto me. And now I'm set free. I confess the iniquity of my father. So I can't repent for my father. I didn't mean it like that. But I can confess my father did this, Yahweh. I confess that before you. Set me free from that, that it not follow me into my life. Set distance and sanctify me, that I be led free from that captivity that wants to entice me and hold me back in the generations. And then we get the blessing because he'll remember the covenant with Jacob, with Isaac and Abraham. I will remember and I will remember the land. Generational sin maybe has shadowed before me and you. We may walk in what our forefathers walked in, but it's never ever going to be unto death if we repent for our fathers. That's right. You and I don't get to re-enter the covenant if we don't confess and repent of that generational sin. Because that's what's holding many of us back. And some have got more to confess than others. But I dare say all of us have much work to do. But there's a blessed hope. Because Yahweh's saying, I'm calling you to be Isaacs. I don't want you to be gendereth the bond. You to go down into the world to try and get the promises of Isaac. It's never going to happen. It's only when you really grasp onto the Ruach that you'll get the promises of Elohim. This is just a study just on those two passages. Bereshit, Genesis 21 and Galatians 4. But it's ultimately tied together with the distinction between faith, the book of the covenant, and that which gendereth you to bondage book of the law. Right? Works of the flesh. Father has something way better for us all. Amen? Blessings. <coughs> Alright, thanks gents. Do we have um, any announcements? Tamara, yes? Yeah, um, 